Hello, good morning everyone. This is my third presentation this week. It's a bit of, you've I'm sure heard the phrase death by PowerPoint, so I've struggled sleeping a few nights this week. I had a big presentation in work, which was fun on Wednesday, and I talked last week as well. So um, yeah, as Rob mentioned, we've been doing the series Calibrate, and Rob Brown, if he's there, he introduced it quite well when he spoke a few weeks ago about calibrating from an engineering background. It talks about um, checking the equipment to make sure it's set up right. And if it needs a minor or maybe a major adjustment, you need to do that. And the churches we've heard before needed a minor or a major adjustment in how they were. The church we're going to talk about today didn't need much of an adjustment. But what they needed to know and what Jesus was able to convey to them was that they were going about things generally in the right way. Um, so we're going to talk about that. And in our own life, if we all need calibrating as well, we need calibrating in our marriage, we need calibrating and how we deal with others in church. And it's good to have that, and it's good to have that reassurance. So through this series of sermons that we've had, um, we've had a few talks on the, four, the seven churches of Asia Minor. We started with Rob, Rob's talk on Ephesus and forsaking love. Paul talked about Pergamum and their need to repent. Ange talked about Thyatira, who tolerated the temptress. And last week we talked about Sardis, the dead church. Today, I'm going to look at Philadelphia, and in comparison to all the churches, but certainly in comparison to Sardis, the message that Jesus conveyed to them was very different. It was much more complimentary. There was a lot more praise in terms of the message to Philadelphia. Now, Philadelphia itself, I will give a little bit more background on it as I go through. Philadelphia itself was a newer church than, for example, Sardis. It was a smaller church. It wasn't as famous in the region. Um, and perhaps they felt that they were maybe weaker than some of the other churches. So whenever they opened the letter from, from Jesus, or the letter that John wrote and was dictated to from Jesus, maybe they'd heard what Sardis had got the week before, maybe they were worried. But whenever they opened the letter, they must have been pleasantly surprised to actually hear the message that was being conveyed was quite a positive message. Jesus was praising them for their faithfulness. He was praising them for, despite their little strength, that they were enduring patiently despite persecution. So... Um, they probably were quite happy with that. Um, so I thought, well, it's probably easier to talk about the church Sardis, wherever you were able to say, actually, this is where they were going wrong. This is what they needed to do right. Um, so I, th I think a week ago I was struggling with this sermon. Maybe I still am, so we'll, we'll see. But this is much more, I think, about encouraging others, encouraging ourselves, um, and remembering some of the challenges that we do go through and trying to deal with them as well. And that's, I'm sure, what Philadelphia had to do. Even today, some churches are named after Philadelphia, or they have Philadelphia as part of their name. Um, so in terms of the agenda, um, I'll go through the background, the intro. I've given a little bit of that already. I'll talk more about Philadelphia and its history and where it was at that time. How Jesus referred to himself in the letter as being holy and true. He talked about how they were faithful and what they did despite their little strength and what that little strength means. Patience. Patience is a virtue. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit. And this is something that Philadelphia were doing. They were enduring patiently. And what was lying in store for them was the victory and being victorious and eternal salvation in the end. And the final slide will be in listening to God's truth. And for those of you who were here last week, I went through that um, in a bit more detail last week, but I'll touch on it again this week. It's how all the letters to each of the seven churches ends. And as I mentioned last week, each of the letters are quite short. Last week's um, letter to Sardis was just six verses. This week's, we've got seven verses to run through. But it's very succinct. Jesus did his letters very much to the point, 
and conveyed a message in a brief manner, but the churches understood where he was coming from. So, Philadelphia. I'm using the same map last week, but I'm just using the circle, just down a little bit from Sardis. So it was situated not too far from Sardis, about 30 miles from Sardis and about 50 miles from Laodicea. And it's in where uh, Turkey is today. It was situated on the Cogamus River and at the bottom of Mount Bolstad. The city itself, one of the things the city produced at the time, was grapes. And they had very fertile grapes which produced wine and it was quite a famous wine in the day. The Roman poet Virgil actually complimented the wine. So Virgil was around, um, around 100 AD to 70 AD. He was quite a famous poet. Um, I wonder if we can try the wine now today. It would be interesting to know how good it tastes, just you know, for biblical reasons, of course. Um, but anyway, so they were quite... That was what I suppose it was renowned for at the time. Um, that was about 100 years before this letter was wrote. So Philadelphia itself was founded in 189 BC, so it's slightly more recent than Sardis, for instance. And in terms of why it was named, it was from the Pergamon king, Eumenes, who gave the name in the honor of his brother, Attalus. So some of us may have heard Philadelphia being referred to as the city of brotherly love. That came from the original Philadelphia as referred to in the Bible. Philadelphia's other names, it was referred to as Little Athens, and that was referred to as Little Athens because it had a lot of public buildings and a lot of pagan temples as well. So it was a little bit like Athens at the time. Um, as with Sardis, the city itself was destroyed by a large earthquake, or predominantly destroyed by a large earthquake, in 17 AD, so not a few, maybe 50, 60 years before these letters were wrote. And the emperor at the time, Tiberius, um, removed the taxes from the city, so that was a bonus for the people, but helped them rebuild the city and build it back up. Um, Philadelphia itself, it's quite unique in, in, in normal Turkey in terms of how long it remained a Christian centre. It remained a Christian centre right the way through to 1923 or just after. Um, it's now known as Al-Sahir, and it's predominantly a Muslim city now, although there is still some Christians in the city. Um, but I say it's quite unique because Turkey um, is now much more of a Muslim country, but until 1923, um, Philadelphia was very much a Christian centre. At that time, I learned a bit of history going through, there was a forced exchange of population between Greece and Turkey. So some of you know your history may be aware of this, but 1.6 million people, um, some of them moved from Turkey to Greece, and those were the, mainly the Christians in Turkey were forced to move from Turkey to Greece, and vice versa, Muslims who were in Greece were forced to move to Turkey. So to give an example of the effect of that, and at the end of the 19th century, Turkey was 17.5% Christians. So a minority of Christians, but a very much a significant minority. Um, by 1927, it was only 2.5% Christians, so very much um, a very small um, proportion of the population were Christian. Um, and now in Turkey, now today in 2017, the figures from 0.2% of people are Christians in Turkey, which is still around 100,000 people are Christians in Turkey, but very much a very small proportion of the city. So it's quite a change. But just to re-emphasize the point, Philadelphia was one of the last real strong points of uh, the Christian population. So I'm going to start by going through the whole letter that Jesus wrote to the church of Philadelphia that was wrote and dictated to John, and he replicated the messages word for word. So it's up on your screen behind you, but for those of you with Bibles or tablets, Revelations 3, verses 7 to 13. And I will go through each of the verses individually with just a summary then of each of the individual verses, but I'll read the start of it, or read the entire text in its entirety. To the church in Philadelphia, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these are the words of him who is holy and true, 
who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. I will make those of you, those who are of the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so no one can take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So before I go through it in detail, just to highlight a few things that were brought out, he talks about knowing their deeds, and that's in some of the other letters as well. But there was no but after it. So the letter to Sardis last week, he says, I know your deeds, but they were incomplete. They were unfinished. They weren't good enough. But there was no but in this letter. So Jesus was content with their deeds. He mentions they have little strength, and I'll go through how that can actually be a positive Following on from the little strength, it talks about keeping their word, not denying my name, enduring patiently. A very positive letter. And I mentioned earlier about Philadelphia. It shares with um, Smyrna um, the distinction of just receiving praise in the letter from Jesus. It's a very positive letter. Um, and many churches today use Philadelphia as part of the name, and it represents the church's faithfulness to God's message and to Jesus and what he said. So Revelation 3, verse 7, the first letter of it, the first verse of it, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. So Jesus refers to himself as holy, and he refers to himself as true. He refers to himself as holy, as in he is a deity, he is God. He is holy, and he alone is holy. And the second description Referring to himself as true comes from the Greek word alkinos, which means true, which means real, which means authentic. And Jesus refers to himself here as I am true. I am the real deal. We are in a world where there are lies. We are in a world where there's deceit, where there's sin. And if we need to turn to someone, we turn to Jesus and we have the truth. So some other examples from the Bible of Jesus' holiness um, I'll just go through a few verses. First one from Luke 4, verse 34, where a demon that Jesus was in the process of exercising responded to, to Jesus, let us alone, what business do we have with each other? Jesus of Nazareth, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So that's from evil, referring to Jesus as the Holy One of God. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All the nations will come and worship before you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. And that's from the future, from Revelation 15, verse 4. And finally, 1 Peter 1, 14 to 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the formal age which were yours in ignorance. But like the Holy One he called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So Rob's series early this, earlier this year on living it talked about how we could live life 
about acting and thinking more like Jesus did, about being more like Jesus, about being more of a disciple like Jesus. The Vineyard Church itself, we talk about no perfect people allowed. We're not holy perfectly as yet. So the line in the last verse talked about you shall be holy. It's talking in the future. But what we can do, and with Jesus' help, and with Jesus' strength, we can strive to be more holy in our life, and we can strive to be closer to what Jesus wants of us. And we can take great steps towards holiness. I'm going to go through a, a few, I suppose, maybe some of the more famous verses of the Bible, the ones that maybe most of us would be familiar with, or even the, the general layman would be familiar with some of these verses as well. And I've picked three or four out that we'll go through today. Um, the next one uh, is from John 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus refers to himself here as the truth. He is the way, and he is the way to salvation. Jesus is the truth that we need to follow. I'll move on now to the last part of the first verse, of a verse um, to Philadelphia. And Jesus often spoke in terms of how he spoke in the Bible, in the New Testament. He also referred, often referred to the Old Testament in his sermons and, and other ways that he spoke to his disciples or to the crowds that he spoke to. He picked something from the Old Testament, referred to that. And the last part of the, um, of the verse was about how he opened a door and no one can shut or closing a door that no one can open. And this really refers to Isaiah 22, verse 22. I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open, none shall shut, and he shall shut, and none shall open. What God does, what Jesus does, they give us the strength. They give us the opportunities. We need to take for those opportunities. We need to act with purpose. And what God wants us to do, if we answer the call, it will be done. No one can stop what God wants us to do. That is the strength. But we need to respond to God's ask. We need to listen. We need to respond to it and then work with God's purpose. The next verse, verse 8. I know your deeds. I have placed before you an open door that none can shut. I know you, you have little strength and you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Just looking around there. You'll see some pictures. Those are pictures of Philadelphia, of the ruins of Philadelphia and the area. And one of the later pictures is of Al-Shahir, the city that is there at the minute. Um, I meant to mention at the start. But there are um, people, there are Christians that actually go on the tours of the seven churches. So some of the things I was looking at were, were actually people were doing talks on the church. And actually they were doing the talks from there. From Philadelphia, from Sardis, from um, all, all the other areas as well. So, um, so these are some of the images that you can, you can find on Google and, and things like that. So, um, so it's quite interesting. So again, this verse very much encouraging. You have little strength, but you've kept my word. You have not denied my name. So I'll go through a few of this in detail. I mentioned it was maybe a smaller church at the time. Um, they had little strength, but what they did have is they had the strength of Jesus behind them. So maybe in their own body, in their own human body, they felt, I don't have the strength to deal with this. But they did because they had Jesus behind them. I'll go through a couple of verses later about how if you've got little strength, actually, if you admit that and if you come forward to that, you've got more strength than anyone because you have the strength of Jesus behind you. Jesus really commended them fully. I mentioned at the start, he says, I know your deeds. And it wasn't finished with a but. Here's what you need to do. Here's what you need to alter. Here's what you need to change. There was no but. There was no but like there was with Sardis. Jesus was content, was content with the Philadelphian church. 
Now, he then followed up with reassurance. He didn't finish the letter there and say, I know your deeds, carry on, do what you're doing. He followed up with specific encouragement for them. So, it's nice if, my, um, if, if we're in, in our marriage, so with my wife, it's nice whenever I get words of reassurance that I'm um, doing not a, not a bad job as a husband and um, I do like to get positive feedback and I'm sure Mandy likes to get positive feedback when I'm happy and it's nice when we, we sometimes send texts to each other which just say specific things that we appreciate about each other over the weeks or the days. It doesn't happen all the time. There are times that we try each other's patience. Uh, probably me more than Mandy. There are times that I try each other's patience. I was saying to Paul about Dean and how he can sort of, I said he's a bit like me, he can sort of, he, he can go forward and he's a, you know, he's a great kid but um, he, sometimes when he's walking around, he doesn't really think of others. Um, but at that age, who does? We just want to sort of go to who we want to go to, and no one will get, no one shall get in my way. So, um, but it's good to have that reassurance. It's the same in work. Um, my boss, I, I this week in work, he, um, I sent an email out, and it was about something that was maybe not being done. Um, I felt being right, following the right process, and there was a conflict of interest. Um, and I work in a university, and the vice-chancellor position is quite a senior position. Um, so um, I, I sort of picked up on something the vice-chancellor has said. We need to make sure that we don't have any conflict of interest. But anyway, there was something that was going on that the vice-chancellor, I thought, had a conflict of interest in, so I felt that it needed to be um, circulated, and my boss did call me um, within a few minutes of the email being sent. Actually, one person called me just before my boss and said, oh, that's great, someone really needs to say something. It's, it's right, we can't be doing that. We're saying we need to follow the right process, and you've, really, you've picked up on that. So I thought, well, that's nice, a bit of reassurance there. No sooner did I do that, my boss said, you really need to be careful, it's very political. This person's a very senior person. If this gets raised, you know, and I was going, okay, yeah. I said, was anything I said wrong, but? And he went, well, it's not wrong, but you just need to be careful. And so I did send an email back, and I've not been in the job that long. I've just been in it over three months. I haven't got past my probationary period yet. So I sent an email back and said, look, you know, I do take what you're saying, and I don't want, I realize that I could probably have, you know, dumbed it down a bit and stuff. But I said, he, but he did send an email about conflict of interest. So, um, but then he did phone me back immediately after that email. He said, oh, don't worry, actually, I do appreciate what you're doing. And appreciate. So actually, but it was good to have that reassurance. And what I did say to my boss is, I don't mind if you've got something to say. I do see your point. I see what you mean. I don't mind if someone pulls me up on something, but it was like, I want, I, it's nice to have that positive reassurance as well. And that's what Jesus was giving. He was showing them that he valued them. He appreciated what they were doing. If he hadn't have done that, maybe the church in Philadelphia 10 years from now would have got, 10 years from then, would have got discouraged. They maybe would have felt devalued. Maybe they would have walked away from the path they were walking. So they had that appreciation. They had that reassurance. Actually, I'm happy with how you're going. And maybe from then, they kept it up and perhaps they got even better. They were more motivated. He talks about how they didn't, they kept his word and didn't deny his name. Jesus' rock, Peter, you may recall, denied Jesus' name three times after Jesus was taken by the Romans. But the church in Philadelphia, despite persecution, did not deny his name. The next slide shows an image of an open door that no one can shut. God, Jesus, gives us a great opportunity. He gives us an open door for us. This could be within the church, an opportunity to serve more. It could be within our community of Daventry, of Banbury, of your work, to spread the word of God. Do it with respect. God gives us opportunities. He has faith in us. And no matter how weak we feel, if we've got God's strength behind us, sometimes we need to open up about where we feel weak. If we've got God's strength behind us, then we will be stronger going forward. Perhaps open door just refers to eternal salvation. 
If we have true faith, we talked about last week, if we have that true faith and that true commitment, no one can shut that door of salvation to us and the eternal, um, eternal life ahead. And clearly, for Philadelphia, they were making the most of this open door. They were taking the opportunities that Jesus was giving to him. And this pleased Jesus, that they were fulfilling their potential. And despite having little strength, they were faithful, and Jesus was pleased with their deeds. Another example from Corinthians 12, verses 9 and 10. This is about maybe the little strength of the weakness. He said to me, my grace is enough for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So then I will boast most gladly about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may reside in me. Therefore, I am content with weaknesses, with insults, with troubles, with persecutions and difficulties for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. So that's the letter from Paul to the Corinthians. And that's talking about Paul basically admitting to when he's got weaknesses. If we don't admit to our weaknesses, what will happen is that they continue to be weaknesses. But if we have that courage to say, actually, I know this is a strong thing I'm struggling with. I know this is an area that I'm weak. Maybe I'm feeling depressed, but I'm putting on a brave face on it. Maybe I've got a challenge I'm dealing with, and I'm struggling with it. I'm failing with it. If I don't get the help, maybe it's just at work. If, I'm no, if I don't say to my boss at work, actually, I'm really struggling with this. Can you give me a hand? Or I need more resource or more support or more people. And I just carry on. A month down the line, he'll be saying, why didn't you tell me? This is the same whenever I'm dealing with projects. If we're not highlighting an issue and a weakness, it can get too late and it's, it's harder to pull that strength back. So firstly, speak to Jesus. Ask for that support. Ask for that strength. And sometimes it will be that we get that support from the congregation, from other Christians, from other people, whatever it might be. The Sermon on the Mount talks about blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for they will inherit the earth. What a blessing for those that are poor in spirit that they will inherit the earth. So I think really we get from that, we need to admit, whether it's to be our spouse, for our wife, for our husband, for others, we need to admit where we have struggles. If we keep things from our family, the other thing is that they don't know the struggles we're dealing with. They can't help us then, so we're betraying them as well. If you're just struggling with the courage just to stand up, just to admit with things that you're going with, just pray to God for the strength to do it first and ask God for that support. Um, verse 9, I will make those who are the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. So a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago, Paul referred to, the, to Satan and how he had positioned himself in Asia Minor and how probably for the last 2,000 years he's positioned himself there. You see the war you see conflict, you see how Christians are persecuted there. And that's really continued throughout time and the wars continued. It's been such a focal point in earth, that sort of area and that area around um, Asia and various places that have had such war and such turbulent times. And clearly this is something, something that they were suffering from at the time. They were being persecuted. And the next slide glows through. I mentioned the Sermon on the Mount the last time. The blessings for the persecuted from further on in the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew 5, a very famous um, part of the Bible. I mentioned you'd have some famous areas. Um, blessed are those who are persecuted for right, because of righteousness, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. So what an end result that is. Blessed are those that are persecuted. So those that are going through troubles, but keeping your faith, keeping your resolve, enduring patiently, you have the end result of being blessed with the kingdom of heaven. So we all have persecution at times. We all have struggles at times. 
We all have times where things aren't going well. Endure patiently. Keep Jesus' word. Keep faithful to his name. And we will have eternal salvation and the kingdom of heaven blessed before us. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of earth. I mentioned to Ange this morning, about a year ago, around this time, um, but not here in the other building actually it was, um, I did a talk on um, patience and meekness. So I was able to plagiarize um, from that presentation. Um, I didn't replicate the slide exactly, but I did talk about the challenge of patience. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit. I mentioned that before. Um, But yeah, patience is a challenge for all of us. Is anyone here that has never been challenged with impatience at times? Maybe I was going to do it the other way, and I thought maybe some people won't put their hand up. And I was going to say, are we all patient people here? And every hand would rise. But, um, but I think we all have challenges with patience. If there's anyone that doesn't have any sort of impatience, I think we're probably um, land ourselves. Now, that doesn't mean that we aren't patient people. I think you can be a patient person, but still have the challenge of impatience at times. There will still be times that we have struggled a little bit more. So I was thinking about when I have the challenge of patience and, and as I went through it and as I prayed, I sort of got a, a better answer. Rob, for instance, is probably, and Ange actually, have probably had the challenge of patience over the last few years. Rob not having the blessing of hearing. It's something that I take for granted, being able to hear, I take for granted. I don't need to have the patience to wake up in the morning and know I can hear what my wife says to me. That's mostly a good thing. So, um, But... Rob has had that challenge for he hasn't always heard what Ange says to him. And Ange has joked about it in the past that sometimes that's a good thing, but most of the time it has been a challenge for them when Ange is trying to convey a message across. But now she can't mutter and get away with things. I know you've said that before. So, <laughs> um, so, but now I'm sure Rob sees that as a blessing. He appreciates hearing a lot more, having gone through the last few years of really having struggles with conversations, having struggles especially with groups of people not being able to hear. Now he's got that blessing that the cochlear implant has been a success so far, I'm sure it'll continue to get better. And the end result is that good things come to those who wait. So where else have I had challenge for patience? I'm not sure if any of you watched the, um, the series Lost. Anyone watched Lost when it was out a few years ago? A few hands gone up. It was a series I quite enjoyed. I'm not saying it was my favorite series, but it was one that I quite remember. It was on for seven or eight years. And at the end of every episode, invariably it would finish with a cliffhanger. And it was before the days of Amazon Prime and Netflix and things like that, where you could just quickly go on to the next episode and I'll, watch, I'll binge watch the whole series inside um, a period of a week or two. Then you would have to wait a week. And it was quite a popular series at the time. So you'd go into work the next day or talk about it with your friends and wonder what happens next. And then you'd count down the days or the minutes to the next episode and, and wait for it and find out what the end of the cliffhanger was. And, um, and then watch that episode and there'd be another cliffhanger and sometimes, if you're away on holiday, maybe you'd tape an episode, you'd come back, and you'd get two episodes in a row, and, or maybe three episodes in a row, and you'd watch them one after the other. And I used to think, actually, although I waited patiently for, although I was frustrated having to wait for the end of the cliffhanger, sometimes watching two or three in a row, or even now doing a, a multiple series, it was, there's, you almost got more pleasure in waiting and anticipation of what the end result of the cliffhanger was. So the patient wait has frustrations, but it also has an end benefit. Again, good things come to those who wait. The one thing I would say was, but at the end of a series of loss, where you had to wait nine months for the end of the cliffhanger, that was frustration that I struggled to cope with. So what other things do I get frustrated with? 
Mandy and Dean and Judy and myself have gone on holiday the last couple of years and gone to Greece and Portugal. I had a great time. But being at the airport, you get your bags checked in um, and then you look up at the flight. It's on time. You think, oh, we'll just get a, a quick drink here and our flight's leaving in 45 minutes. And every flight we've had the last couple of holidays, I've been quite lucky over the years, but the last two holidays we've had, we've had two or three hour delays, which is quite frustrating. And it's, not, it's more frustrating as well when it says it's delayed 15 minutes, at least you know it's 15 minutes. But in the last coming home from Portugal, it didn't tell us what the delay was. It just said delayed. We went to speak to people. They didn't know. No one was able to help. So you were sitting there, tapping your fingers, speaking to the other passengers. And then it came up, departed. I remember, oh, what's going on? It's the flight's departed. So then you were coming around and said, oh, no, no, that's, um, that's a mistake. And then they had to change the board and stuff. So that was a, that was a frustration, um, coming back or going on your holiday and, and waiting for your flights. So what other areas um, do we have patience? The next one, you've got a handsome, very, very handsome chap there who's grown up to be a very handsome man standing in front of you. And that's, that's me with my dog at the time, Barry. So I'm more of a dog person. Mandy's more of a cat person. And we were chatting the other night about how her cats were patient with me because I'm more of a dog person. They had to grow to, would love to say love me, but grow to accept me and, and not see me as a strange dog person. So... Um, but that was my dog, Barry. He was named after Barry McGuigan, if you remember Barry McGuigan, the boxer, who had just won um, the, whatever boxing title it was, featherweight, I think he was. Um, and we got the dog around that time. It was 1984, 85. Um, so, but Barry, in comparison to Barry McGuigan, wasn't a fighter. He wasn't a boxer. He was very soft. I think he would be scared of cats. He was certainly very confused by hedgehogs, and whenever he met a hedgehog, he came off very much in the worst when he went to explore these hedgehogs. But he was a very patient dog. So I wasn't, I'm, I'm not talking about Barry and how, you know, how Barry's patience was tried or how he got impatient. He was very patient. He endured patiently. And I'll give an example of this. I'll show the next picture of a dog, which isn't Barry. I did phone up my parents and ask, do you have any pictures of Barry where he has a treat on his nose? And where he carries a treat. And I'm sure maybe some of us have seen this where you put a treat in a dog's nose and you get him to wait and you say, wait, wait, and then take it and the dog laps up the treat. I probably took that to the next level when I was young. So I used to give, it started, I suppose, when I was around that age, seven, eight years old, and you'd give him a treat as he was being trained um, and you'd get him to wait 10, 15, 20 seconds or whatever. And then I thought, well, he's, he's pretty good at that. So um, what I'll do is I'll go out of the room and stand at the door and see how he does. And over time, he, he became good at that as well. So I thought, oh, he's, he's pretty good. And it became almost a, how far could I take this? So eventually I took it to where it, not only would I go out of the room, I'd go upstairs, I'd open up my latest copy of Shoot mag magazine or whatever it might be, and I'd sit and read the magazine. But every so often I would shout downstairs, stay, stay. And my parents would be in the room, so this dog would be sat with a treat on his nose. <laughs> so today you'd have a video of it, but it was great. But it used to be if we had visitors around, you'd have visitors coming around and they'd see this dog with... A little biscuit on his nose waiting to eat a treat. So I say I tried my dog's patience and I've mentioned I maybe try Mandy's patience. I probably tried my mum's patience as well because he was a golden retriever and golden retrievers are dogs that drool. So um, he would have left a whole pool of drool on the floor as well when five, ten minutes later I would come down the stairs and say, you can take your treat now and there'd be a little pool over the floor. So my mum used to shake her head. And looking back now... Um, but what, what he had, and again, this is a point I made in one of the other ones, when he ate his biscuit, I would normally give him a big hug and be all excited, and normally he'd get another biscuit. If I'd have just got a biscuit out of the packet and just given him the biscuit, he'd have eaten the biscuit, and that would have been it. But 
this dog was a very happy dog. Once he got to eat his biscuit, you could almost see the smile, and I've got to get something. He, was, he just got very excited by anything, really. He's a bit like myself, I think. So, but he enjoyed the biscuit so much more. He knew he got a big hug after it. He knew he got almost always he got another biscuit after it. He, he got rewarded for enduring patiently, and that's what he had. So I think patience, it is a virtue. Sometimes we can get frustrated while we wait for things, but as I mentioned, good things come to those who wait. Um, if it is something you struggle with, pray for patience. God, grant me patience, but don't get frustrated if you don't get it straight away. Don't say, hurry up to God. <laughs> It'll come in his own time. So it's one of the fruits of the Spirit. Patience, um, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So just some of the words there, patience, love, joy, they're all such positive things. So it's good to remind ourselves of that. In Ephesians 4 verse 2, be humble and gentle in every way. Be patient with each other and lovingly accept each other. And just a couple of words to highlight from that. Patience and love, they often go hand in hand in the Bible. Um, and the next passage, again a very famous passage, Monday and I used it at our wedding. It's used at um, a lot of weddings. And the letter to Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 I'm not going to go through the whole passage, but just the start of it. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. The first three words, love is patient. And it just shows how patience really helps to support love, whether that's dealing with your congregation, whether it's dealing with other friends or family or your husband or wife. So Revelations 3 verse 11. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. So I think here Jesus is referring really to be prepared. It's a scout's motto as well. He's talking about I am coming soon. So what does he refer to when he's talking about I am coming soon? Soon we often mean, we often think that means very soon. So if Mandy says we need the law mowed, I'd say I'll do it soon. If it's not done in a week or two weeks or 2,000 years, she might start to query what my definition of soon is. So I thought, well, I'll look this up. What's the Greek word for soon? The Greek word is tashu, which means soon. And this is a word that was originally used, soon. But it also means at any moment or suddenly. And I think I take this to mean it's at any moment that Jesus is coming soon. At any moment. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. We don't know the time. We don't know exactly when it will be. We know it will be at any moment. Life is full of unexpected things. They can be good things. They can be bad things. But by the nature of being unexpected, we can't know or fully anticipate when, or maybe the detail behind it. So I mentioned earlier, um, I work in this sort of area of project management. Now I work for a university. Um, and as project managers, they often will put a risk log together. And that risk log will talk about risk. Sometimes the risk might be good risk, where you want to enhance or be prepared in a good way for the possibility that that risk may occur. Sometimes the risk may be a bad risk. So what you want to do is mitigate and be prepared for if that risk happens so you're in the best place possible to deal with it. So we need to prepare ourselves for Jesus' coming. We need to make sure we're in the best place possible to prepare for that. The next one from 1 Peter 3 verse 15. But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give for the reason, for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So be prepared as well to share Jesus' name, to share the opportunities, to worship, to tell others about our faith. Be prepared for those opportunities. I sometimes think to myself, 
I will tell people about my faith, but I often see where a door has been opened for me and where I've walked away and actually think, I've missed an opportunity there. So being prepared does help. This was a slide I put in um, last night, so I don't have a copy of this slide, so I'm going to have to turn around and remind myself um, what I put on it. So this was B, it's missed at the top there. Be ready for Jesus. Do not let anyone take your crown. So this was the end of the last verse where it talks about do not let anyone take your crown. So the message is to um, Thyatira, who tolerated the temptress, and the message is to Sardis and some of the other churches. So it's a question here. Were they letting others take their crown? I think certainly for Sardis, most of the church was letting their crown be taken. They weren't enduring patiently. Um, they weren't following what Jesus wanted to do in terms of the deeds. For Thyatira, some of them are tolerating the temptress, so perhaps they were at risk of having their crown be taken from them. Therefore, you must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Matthew 24, verse 44. And keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back whether in evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let you find you sleeping. And we talked last week about how Sardis was asleep and not awake to Jesus' coming. So the message really is much more of a strong message for Philadelphia, and that's reflected in the next verse, 3, verse 12. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God, and I will also write on them my new name. So this is a really strong message for the people and the church of Philadelphia, but it's a really strong message for us and the church of the Vineyard community in Daventry. There is victory and there is salvation for us as long as we show our faith to Jesus. And again, um, for the own Revelations in 21, so further on in the vision that John received, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. He will dwell among them, and they shall be his people. And God himself will be among them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Just taking a few things from that, there will no longer be any pain, no longer any crying, any death, any mourning. It's such a joyous verse, this. It talks about the things that there won't be, but we, these are all the things that are the struggles of our current life. These will be taken away. Another very famous verse, John 3.16, growing up in Northern Ireland, at a place at the time I grew up, had a lot of conflict. But what you had is you had a lot of people who were trying to expose the virtues of Christianity, and Mandy's noticed when she comes to Northern Ireland, there's often posters that are adorned in places. And the, probably the most common one is John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his own and only son, that whoever believed in him shall not perish, but have everlasting or eternal life. And that's the blessing we have. We believe in God. We have the full commitment and faith in God, and we shall have everlasting life. And that was a blessing for Philadelphia. And the final verse to Philadelphia as with the final verse to all the churches in the, in the book of Revelations, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I used this slide last week, and I mentioned the exact verse of each of the seven letters finished with this message. And what does it mean when it says what we hear, what the Spirit says to the churches? The word, Hebrew word shema 
is used for hear and listen. And it's much more powerful. It's really much more of a conscious effort to listen. It's about active in the acknowledgement of the call. It's about responding to the call. It's about being more powerful. It's means to listen and to do. Um, I'm not going to go through them today, but there's a range of verses in the Bible which talk about listening to God's word. And they're often followed by an act to follow on from that and to actually acknowledge and to do something with it. So it's not just listen and let it pass us by. Um, I mentioned last week about the English, English words for listening silently. They have the same six letters. So when we pray and we ask for something, take the time to listen as well. Have some silent time. Take some time out. For Dave and Pauline's life group that was mentioned this morning, notice in the text of the life group, it talks about the noise that we have in our life and how that can stop us from hearing God's voice. Take that time to be silent so we can hear God's voice. In terms of the summary for today, I'm going to start to bring it to a close now. Um, the things that we've gone through today are how Jesus referred to himself as being holy and true. And how we need to recognize his holiness and the truth that he has for us. We talked about having courage when we're weak, when we're feeling low, when we're feeling down. When there's things that we're challenged with, it takes courage to admit when we need support. And we do admit that we need to support. What we have is we have his strength behind us. We have Jesus' strength. We have God's strength that makes, turns that weakness into a strength. We talked about faithfulness and how that faithfulness will be rewarded. We talked about patience, about how we can endure patience and how patience itself is linked to love and how it can really support and build love that we have for each other and how patience itself can be sometimes trying at the time but good things come to those who wait. And we talked about the end result, about the victory and what that means for us. And finally, we talked about listening to God's truth and where it comes from the word shema, which is more than listening. It's about taking the time out. It's about being silent. It's about waiting for the call and acting on what God wants us to do. And when we have that open door that God wants us to do, if we listen to it or if we act on it, no one can shut that door and we'll be able to achieve. Just going to ask Paul just to come up and close um, with a prayer, I suppose maybe in terms of a call, and Paul might have um, more things, but if there's anything that you're challenged with, we're all, we're all here, I have challenges, in fact I might um, have a, a, a bit of prayer afterwards, there's, there's things that we all get challenged with. We're not alone when we have challenges, we've all experienced challenges, some of our challenges are individual or bespoke to us, but one thing we all do is we all have things that we struggle with at times, sometimes our life is going through a plateau and good plateau, but other times we've got challenges. So if there's something that you need support with, if you want to share something with someone, if you just want to come up and say, something I'm going through, and you just want to give it as that, ask for prayer and the support. You don't need to go through the detail of it. If you want to, by all means share, you are in a safe place. Is there anything that you're impatient about, you're waiting for, you want it now or you want it soon? If you want prayer for that, just ask for prayer for that. I'll close it there. Paul.